Play-Doh, Silly Putty, or Slime, which would you take? See, Silly Putty was actually the first that came out. It was a mistake. This guy was trying to make rubber a wallpaper cleaner because back in the day when they used to burn coal, uh, there was soot in the house, and so they made it into this wallpaper cleaner and now has become... I mean, what is more satisfying than getting a new container of Play-Doh? Some of you are like, you know what? <sighs> I had one of those parents that we didn't get to buy the Play-Doh. We made the Play-Doh. The other day I was looking for my monster cookie recipe and I have three or four recipes for Play-Doh in my recipe box, which you're like, it's not that complex. Now some of you don't even know what slime is. You're thinking about when did slime come about? Slime really came about when Ghostbusters introduced us to Slimer, which introduced us to the Ecto Cooler, which all the rich kids brought in their cold lunch to flex that they could have Ecto Cooler and you couldn't, you had to settle for the white milk. <laughs> I love Play-Doh. Play-Doh really became a thing, right, when, when they started the creation station where you could, like, squeeze your Play-Doh through different things. And then I know there's some of you out there who were the, how would we describe this? Those people with no sense who love to mix all their Play-Doh colors together. <laughs> God forgives you. It's nothing to say about Fimo clay, which became a thing that I did and made creatures, uh, little, little figurines, and baked them. And then Nikki was like, you are 17 years old and 18 years old. Stop playing with the clay. We're in Colossians 3 this morning. For some of you that are uh, trying to figure this out, we're going through who, who is Timberwood. And today we're going to talk about spiritual formation. And we're in Colossians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. And Colossians is a lot like Galatians, not only in how you pronounce it, but also in what Paul is addressing in the church. Colossians 3, uh, verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have this interesting thing that we have to address. What happens after we say yes to this invitation that Jesus offers us to be in relationship with the God of the universe, to be in communion with God? G.K. Chesterton famously said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. As it has been found difficult and untried. How do we live as disciples? It's easy to say that we are making disciples, but what does that mean to be a disciple? And then how do we live as disciples? A disciple is someone who is a follower of someone. It's like uh, we have apprenticeships. It's somebody who's learning to live and act and be in the way of whoever they're following. So to be a disciple is to follow after a person. So to follow after Christ. So what does it look like to follow after Christ? We use this phrase, spiritual formation. What does that look like? It sounds so fancy. Spiritual formation, capital S on the spiritual, please. It sounds fancy, like a churchy, Christianese type of word. We use it in a sentence like, oh yeah, I'm going to go work on my spiritual formation. And most people that don't exist within the walls of a church look at us like, excuse me? Are you going to go see a doctor for that, or what's happening? Here in Colossians, Paul is writing to a group of people who have come to know who Jesus is and are following after Jesus. And earlier in the letter, he uses this language to walk, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then later in 2, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul writes a lot about these things to the letter, in his letters that he writes to the churches. What does it look like to follow after Jesus Christ? Jesus, in his teaching, in his life, in the Gospels, we see these examples. He, before he goes off with the disciples, in, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he gives the Sermon on the Mount, which also appears partly in Luke chapter 6, which we went through a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow after me. And when we read it and we see it, we think, oh, whoa. I don't know. I don't know if I'm necessarily interested in that. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's great book, The Cost of Discipleship, he makes the case that to follow after Christ is quite costly. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror, maybe this is just me, and think, Something has got to change. You ever find yourself waking up, getting the, the stupor out of your eyes, and you, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, I mean, come on, man. Something has got to change. The challenge is, if nothing changes, nothing changes. I finally jumped onto the bandwagon of Drive to Survive, Formula One. Nikki was out of town, and I'm like, why not watch it while I'm doing other things? And Lewis Hamilton is like, guys, something has to change with my car. I'm the best driver in the world, and I'm losing. Something is wrong with the car. Something has to change. 
For some of us, we come to this realization that something needs to change. However, we're stuck. We're stuck in a place where we're not sure how to move forward, but we certainly want to move forward. We're bombarded with suggestions and self-help for, that comes throughout various forms, mountains of books on how to be a better person, be your best self. James Clear's Atomic Habits, massive bestseller, raging success, how to get your life in order. The challenge is Paul says something to the church at Colossae. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. He says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And then again he says, put on the new self, put off the old self, put on the new self. Likewise, in Romans chapter 6, Paul, he writes this letter to the Roman church. And he says, for, in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And then he goes on later in Romans, in Romans 12 and says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, which is your spiritual act of worship. Because to follow Christ isn't just to say yes to Jesus, please forgive me of my sins so that I can enter into heaven one day when I die. It's a little bit like this. And I brought this up on Wednesday night, and, and I know some of you are going to groan, and so I'm just preparing myself mentally to receive your groan and your judgment. So Taylor Swift was doing this, you know, big world tour thing, Eras Tour, and we had tickets. We secured four tickets. Whoa, I was so excited. And, you know, when she was doing the stadium tours, there were people that were lining up outside because they couldn't get tickets just so they could hear the sound roll over Arrowhead Stadium and out into the parking lot and experience the Taylor Swift experience. And then the time came, and I got bumped <laughs> by my daughter's friend. But imagine if you would have had one of those tickets. Some of you did. And, and you get to U.S. Bank Stadium. You're so excited. You've picked out your Eras Tour. What you're wearing, 1987 probably, would have been mine. Good year. It's coming out pretty soon. A couple more weeks. Can't wait. Anyways, you get into U.S. Bank Stadium, and you're like, I'm good. Wouldn't you like to go to your seat? No, I'm good. Well, you can't see the concert from here. Yeah, but I'm in the stadium. I'm good. I could probably hear most of it, but, but the speakers are pointing the other way, so it's, yeah, I'm good. How do you feel about marinating meat? 
Last night, my friend brought over a piece of marinated uh, antelope backstrap. So good. A little soy and Worcestershire. When you bit into it, it was like so juicy and tender, and you could like the soy was enhancing the earthiness of the Wyoming antelope, and it was just like, oh, this is so good. Maybe you're like, I don't really like meat. I like soaking in a hot tub. You ever do that? You soak in your hot tub or a hot tub, and you get out, and you're like, I need to take a shower now because they smell like chlorine. Or maybe... Maybe you're more of a fisherman type and you like to uh, fish, but, but then you accidentally hook into the nasty northern and, and you're like, I don't even want that thing in my boat because it's slimy and it smells. And if I touch it, then I'm going to stink like northern. When we come to these things called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, it is a way of us to marinate in the goodness of who God is. It's a way for us to soak in the presence of an almighty God and to breathe in and to receive who God is and to experience this life-changing experience that is the practices that we call spiritual disciplines. Because nobody goes into a game and says, I just want to get in the stadium. Likewise, coming to faith in Christ isn't just about missing out on hell. It's not just about entering into heaven one day when we die. It's about the full experience of experiencing the freedom that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so often we can talk about these spiritual practices and they can become a weight around our neck as if we have to do these things to earn our salvation and earn who Jesus is to us, that somehow I have to do these things in order for God to love me more, and that is not the case at all. We don't participate in spiritual practices so that God will love us more. We follow in the ways of Jesus so that we can become more like Christ, so we can be formed more in the way of who Jesus is. I mean, that's the great thing about Plato, right? It can be shaped into anything you want it to be. And that's the challenge with silly putty or, or slime. I sent some slime to one of my friends, and he's like, thank you so much. Now it's in the shape of my carpet. Or like silly putty, you know, back in the day when we used to actually get newspapers, you take your silly putty and you'd press it on there and you'd look at it and you're like, now I have a silly putty comic, so much fun. It received whatever we placed on it or placed it on. That is who we are. Paul talks about this list of things who, who we used to be, our former selves, our, ourselves apart from God these earthly things, or in other places he talks about the flesh. And he says, we once walked this way, but now we should walk this way. We once used to live like this in our old selves with its practices, and now we put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And he gives this wonderful list. 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ be dominant in your hearts, to which you were once to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Look at all of these practices. Leo Tolstoy once observed, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing themselves. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Again, to be clear, we are not earning our salvation or earning favor with God by forming ourselves in these practices or participating in these practices. Richard Foster described the spiritual practices as the door to liberation. As the door to liberation. It's interesting because when we read Paul's letters, oftentimes we think about the use as a me, as if it's a singular, but in reality it is a corporate thing. Michael Gorman in his book uh, called Cruciformity, he talks about this. He says, being in Christ refers to the experience not merely of the individual, but of the community into which the person of faith is baptized and in which he or she coexists with others. It is not merely of the individual, but of the community. Because, yes, it's great if I think about just me and God, me and God, me and God, but, but that's not a New Testament concept. It's about us and about us participating in practices together. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning, to participate in this practice of corporate worship, where we sing these songs, and we get to, to feel the experience together. And we get to share in this time together, because it's not about us as an individual, it's about us as a community, because we know that when we grow together, we grow together. You know, back when I used to run marathons, there there would always be these pacing groups. A friend of mine is running uh, a marathon this morning in Chattanooga, where it's not 85 degrees and getting canceled. Sorry, Minneapolis, right? But why is that work? Because you find a pacing group because there's one person who's really experienced who can pace the group. And so you gather together and you run together and you run at the same pace. And then you get to the end and you're like, we did it. We did this thing together. And if we sat on our own, oftentimes we can't get that same experience because one thing happens or another, but the group pulls the group along. So when we talk about spiritual practices, it's about not just us, but us. I know for some of us, this idea of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, some people, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get this. This is what I do. This is my life. Yes, great. You get to become a pacer. It's the idea of been there, done that, come join me in this process. 
And for some of us, we're thinking, practice? We're talking about practice? Thank you, AI, who was the original AI before AI took over our lives and started tracking everything we do. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are these practices? What if we decided to turn off our radios on the way to work and spent that focused time talking to God about what we're feeling about the day or spent that time listening to God or spent that time talking to God on behalf of our friends or family members? Some of you think, I don't drive to work. Good for you. We're, we're happy for you. Retirement is great. Or you work at home. You get the idea. As we've seen throughout Luke's gospel on Wednesday nights, again, Jesus escapes the crowd to be in communion with God. He participates in these practices so that he can be who he is. And so when we talk about this practice of prayer, it's not just what we do before a meal. It's communing with God. It's sitting with God and having a conversation with God and saying, Lord, show me who you are and help me be who you want me to be. As Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, not my will, but your will. It's contacting our friends and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? Because it's about, again, the corporate practice. Or spending time bathing in God's word, marinating in scripture. As, as Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What would that look like if we joined together to dwell in the presence of God through his word richly? What if, what if we committed for the next seven days... Every single day, we, this body, would read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, every single day. We would do that together. Not because we have to, not because it's like, oh, you're making me. Because we want to know who Jesus is and what he calls us to. We don't want to just step into the stadium. We want to experience the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ to bathe in Christ, to have his word dwell in us richly. Or the practice of fasting. I've been listening to some of John Mark Comer's sermons, and he's a pastor out at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. They've committed to, to fast from Wednesday night dinner to Thursday night dinner. And I know immediately you're like, ugh, no, not a chance. Why not? What if? What if we started putting some things into practice in our own lives so that we can put on Christ these things that we can learn about who Jesus is so that we can have the Holy Spirit do the transforming work in us so that we can have these things that Paul talks about. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And how does it change? It's not by our 
pulling ourselves by our bootstraps when it comes to our spiritual formation. It's putting ourselves in the presence of God and allowing the Holy Spirit through these practices that we do to change us. That's why it's capital S, spiritual formation. Or as we talked about last week, outreach. What if we saw outreach as a spiritual discipline? I mean, imagine this. What if, what if each one of us in the next month invited somebody to come sit with us at church to join us in this journey that is the life of Christ? Not this, you need to go to church, you're a bad person, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus Christ. It's, I'm on this journey. Would you come with me? Would you join me on this journey? Would you come and try it out, experience this thing that is life in Christ? Imagine that. And I was supposed to like, but then where's everyone going to sit? Who knows? Let's try and find out. I mean, how amazing would that be? If we walked in here in the next month and there was no place to sit. That would be amazing. But we see outreach as this like separate thing, right? But it's all a part of being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And as Gorman talks about, it's being pushed through and forming ourselves into the shape of the crucified Jesus Christ. The cruciform life is a life that participates and practices in the freedom of who Jesus is through these practices, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because Paul tells the Colossian church, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I know some people are like, I don't even know where to start. I get it. I would love to join you. You know, you go to the gym and you, you're like, I'm going to find a trainer to help me. Yes. Because part of this life together is finding a pacer in our lives who's gone before us that can help bring us along. Look at all the people in here sitting next to you. That, let's do this thing together. Because spiritual formation is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your reaching out to each one of us and offering up the gift of salvation. And Lord, we know that we don't want to just settle. We don't want to settle. We want to grow and we want to experience all that you have for us to experience. Holy Spirit, we know if nothing changes, nothing changes. So we pray, we cry out, we ask that you would change us. Change us. Form us into the disciples that you desire us to be. Not because we're perfect, but because we love you and we want to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.